Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Welcome to this week's episode of People First. And boy, do I have a doozy of a conversation for you. So listen up, because no matter where you are on your career, whether you are starting out mid-career or you think you've reached that false summit of success, you are going to enjoy listening to my conversation with Mark Hirschberg. Mark is the author of The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. And thinking back to my earlier career, yeah, I was just set out into the wild from high school and kind of made it up as we went along. So I'm looking forward to the insights. So in addition to the author of The Career Toolkit, he is also the creator of the Brain Bump app. From tracking criminals and terrorists on the dark web and to creating marketplaces and new authentication systems, Mark has spent his career launching and developing new ventures at startups and Fortune 500s and in academia. He has over a dozen patents to his name. He helped start the Undergraduate Practice Opportunities Program, dubbed MIT's Career Success Accelerator, where he teaches annually. And we're going to get some of the goodness from that in this conversation. And at MIT, he received a BS in physics, a BS in electrical engineering and computer science, and, because that wasn't enough, a master's in engineering in electrical engineering and computer science, focusing on cryptography. So, Welcome, Mark, to People First. Thanks for having me on the show. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, that was a fascinating sort of summary of the six-foot version, I don't know, the adult version of Mark. But I want to start with, when you were a little boy, was that what you were dreaming of doing? What did you want to be when you grew up? I think my first desire was fireman, which is probably true of most little boys, But by age five or six, I wanted to be a stockbroker. Once I understood what the stock market was, I said, stockbroker, that's the plan. And that lasted until I was about age nine when I learned about physics. And that put me on the path to physics. And then in ninth grade, I learned about computer science. So I said physics and computer science. And that's how I got here today. Oh, I love that. So I too studied physics and um, applied mathematics at high school. I was going to be an engineer. My dad was an electrical engineer, but ended up in finance. So we have something else in common. So interesting. All right. So we're here today to talk about your book, The Career Toolkit. So what was the inspiration behind the book? Many years ago, At MIT, we had done surveys and found companies are looking for a number of skills, leadership, networking, negotiating, team building. They want these not just from new college grads, not just from MIT students or engineers. Universally, they want these skills, but no one teaches them and many people don't have them. So there is this huge skills gap. MIT wanted to put together a program to help address this gap. I had been working with my own teams, trying to upskill them as I was also developing myself and had some content. So I reached out to MIT when I heard they were doing this, got involved in creating the program and then teaching there, which I've been doing for decades. And of course, it's not just our students who need this help. As I mentioned, it's universal. So I said, how do we reach a larger audience? And that ultimately led to the book, which is written for a general audience. 
And I love that fact because, as I said, when I started out my career, I was spat out of the high school system straight into work. And it was just a case of head down, do good quality work, keep your nose clean and you're going to be fine. There was no real career plan or guidance. And you touched there on some of the topics that you cover, negotiation and interviewing, networking and relationships. Why do you think it is that we don't or aren't teaching these skills at the level that they're needed to help us to be successful? There are historical reasons. High school was really designed just to get you off of the farms and into the factories. And so it wasn't trying to teach you higher order thinking. It's just teaching you the basics to function in a modern world. The university system, which goes back about 900 years, was designed around people who are experts in their field, deep experts. But if you think about it, when you get a degree in finance, for example, and you have your degree and you leave university, all that degree says is you have acquired a certain level of knowledge mm -hmm. in this discipline. It does not say you are good at doing finance or you will be good at working in the field. It doesn't say you're a good employee. It just says you've acquired knowledge because that's all the experts in the field, the PhDs, your professors, know how to evaluate you on. And there are historical reasons why that was okay back then, but that doesn't work for today's 21st century workforce. Okay, so you've just said that, the today's 21st century workforce, and that was the, the uh, focus of the Future Proof Workplace that I wrote with uh, Dr. Linda Sharkey. So I'm curious to know, what do you mean by the needs of the 21st century workforce? What's different? Let's think back to mid-century, 1950s and you were an accountant, for example, or a product manager, you sat there at your desk and your boss would come along and say, here's some work for you and say, thank you, sir. Yes, sir, I'll get right on this. And you take it out of your inbox, you do the work, you stick it in your outbox and say, okay, sir, what next? And you sat there and you were the cog in the machine and you did what you were told. You just needed to understand accounting or sales or engineering or whatever your particular function was. Fast forward to the end of the century and what happened? Middle management got eliminated. We saw a flattening of the hierarchy back in the 80s and 90s. Teams became more dynamic. Teams became multidisciplinary or multifunctional. You're no longer an accountant only working with other accountants. Now you're working with engineers and product people and salespeople and marketing people. And we have to engage with them and work with them and come up with solutions that aren't just I did the formula on the whiteboard and the other engineers understand this. That's all I need to do. So the skills needed for this type of workforce are different. It's no longer be that cog. It's now trying to figure out not just how to solve the problem, but what is the problem we should be solving in the first place? And how do I marshal the resources and engage with others to do it? And those are not the skills that we are teaching at the university or high school level. I love that. You're talking my language here because it's the critical thinking and it's tapping into the collective intellect and experiences and expertise of the team that's going to help move us all forward individually and together. All right. So it feels like common sense to me. But for those listening, or no matter where they are in their career, what's the first step in understanding where am I going or where have I come from? And therefore, what should I do next? Well, I start off in chapter one, creating a career plan. Now, for many people, they think, oh, that means I'm at this job title and I want to get to that job title. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. 
but don't just look at the titles. And for those, by the way, who are independent consultants, your title may never change, but what you do and how you do it, who you are will evolve. But beyond the title, we know there are different skill sets. The type of work you do as an individual contributor, let's say as a senior engineer, is different than the work that you do and the skills you need as a director of engineering. And those skills are different than when you're a senior VP of engineering. So we have to recognize that these different jobs have different skills and we have a skills gap most likely between what you're capable of doing today and what you need to do in the future. So you need to create a plan. And here's one of the ironies. If I said to you, here's a really important project. You've got two years to get this done. Think about what you do. Would you lock yourself in your office and say, well, I guess I'll just show up to work every day and see if I get done two years and I'll, I'll call you in two years and we'll see where I am. That's insanity. Of course, any of us know, well, you create a project plan, you create a schedule, you create a budget, you have check-ins. How am I doing? What are the risks? How do I minimize those risks? Do I need to adjust my plan? We all know how to do this. But now imagine it's not a two-year plan, but a 20-year plan. And it's not just a key project. It is everything. It is your career. And that project, whether it succeeds or fails, has a big impact on your life. If you need a plan for two years, why do you not have one for 20 years? Yeah. So I'm coaching a CTO of a technology company right now, and she was bemoaning to me that you talked there about the different skills needed at the leadership level, that her VPs were not operating at a leadership level high enough. And I actually asked her, I said, well, have you communicated what those expectations are? So going back to your comment there about how the skills change as we move through our careers, whether I'm the CTO communicating down, or maybe I'm at the first rung of that career lattice and looking up, how do I find out what are the skills and how they shift and change by leadership level? The good news is you don't have to guess. Talk to other people. You're not the first to go down this path. Talk to other people who have been in that role, maybe at your company or at other companies. Talk to people even in different industries. Hey, I'm a director of whatever, managing a team for the first time, and I might be a director of engineering, but some of the challenges of hiring and managing people and communicating expectations, a director of marketing or director of finance has those same types of challenges. The words might be different. The domain might be different, but the actual challenge is similar. But talk to other people. Talk to, obviously, your supervisor. Talk to your peers and subordinates about what they need. If you look at a job description, they are generally poorly written. The job mm -hmm. description simply says, here is the knowledge you need and the experience you need. And sure, that's important, but it doesn't get into the teamwork, the communication, the leadership. They might say, oh, strong communication and leadership skills. I see this all the time. Admittedly, I used to put that in mind. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't really get into what specifically. Because the way you lead a team of 10 people who have worked together for the past five years, worked very well together, had a lot of success, is different than the way you lead a team that might be 20 people, half of them have turned over, they're very demoralized, and they're distributed. That's a very different type of leadership. Leading an existing product versus a brand new project, different types of leadership. And so you have to recognize there's no one size fits all and understand where are the specifics for this role. 
it's being intentional. And as much as you said earlier on, you need a plan for 20 years, it's a plan for 20 years or three years, but it's not set in stone. It has to be flexible for what is important right now today, either for this project or for this person or for this next step in my career. That's exactly right. And this is what trips people up because they say, how do I plan for 20 years? Well, how do you plan for two years? You certainly mm -hmm. don't know at the start of that project what you're doing on day 568. You have yeah. no clue. But you can plan out the next 30 or 60 days, and then you have placeholders. Well, this is what we'll do the second quarter, the third quarter. And of course, you'll adjust as you go. And the same is true for our careers. We're going to have it a little fuzzier the further out we go, and we can adjust. But you definitely want more concrete things earlier on. And what I recommend is people break down their career into short, medium, and long-term plans, with the short being the most concrete and the later ones being a little fuzzier and obviously much more flexible. Yeah, it was Reed Hastings, I think, in his book, who was talking about how careers have moved from careers for life, if I think about my grandparents, or careers at half a dozen companies, if I think about my own dad, to being much more of a portfolio approach where we arrive and maybe it's six months or a year at this company, maybe it's three years, that seems like a long luxury. But what we're doing is collecting experiences that make us flexible for the future and comes back to the career plan. It's not hanging your hat on a, a job title 20 years from now, because as you and I know, many of the job titles around today didn't exist 20 years ago, let alone two years ago. Just a side note, that's a common myth. And if you read the book, The End of Jobs by Jeff Wald, he points out that actually the time we spend in jobs has only changed mildly in the last mm -hmm. 70 years or so. But we have that stereotype because we think about the union jobs mm -hmm. where yes, you worked on the factory floor at General Motors for your whole career. But in fact, they, they did actually change jobs more often. But one of the challenges we have is that the job that I will have in 10, 20 years may not exist today. Mm -hmm. If we think about my own field of cybersecurity, when I graduated college, you could work for certain government agencies. You could work for big tech, which back then was Microsoft, IBM, mm -hmm. maybe AT&T, and that was it. But now there's a whole bunch of cybersecurity startups. Now every small company, the dentist office says, I have a cybersecurity problem. So mm -hmm. the jobs themselves were evolving, whereas the jobs that existed in 1922 weren't that different than the jobs in 1952. So in the book, you've broken your insights into three sections. Tell us about those. The 10 skills are broken into these three sections. So let's enumerate all of them. Section one, careers. So chapter one, as we talked about, creating and implementing a career plan. Chapter two, working effectively. Things like managing your manager, understanding corporate culture, corporate politics. Chapter three is interviewing. Now, there's lots of content on how to interview as a candidate, but many of us have to hire our peers, and mm -hmm. we get no training whatsoever on how to interview other people. So I look at it from both sides. The second section, leadership and management. So there's a chapter on leadership, and then we look at the people side and the process side of management. And those chapters don't apply simply to people with senior titles or people under them. They apply to everyone, including individual contributors. In fact, all of these chapters do. And then the third section, interpersonal dynamics, covers communications, networking, negotiations, and ethics. So 
So I, I love the way it's structured and it, it was inspiring as I read the book. And of course, that section on networking, relationships, it's close to my heart. So tell us what role have relationships and your network played in your success? They've been a huge factor for me. It's helped in everything from finding jobs, and that's how we first start to think about, but also as I've hired other people, as I've gotten customers and partners, internal networking has been really important to fight some political battles or just be aware of things happening, opportunities and threats in the company or in the industry. It's helped me when I've gone down unexpected journeys, like writing this book. I never expected to write a book. And when I realized I was writing one, the first thing I did was I reached out to a bunch of friends of mine who were authors. They were not people in tech, but I have a diverse network and they were able to give me guidance. Your network, really, you need to think of it like we think of cell phones these days. When you think of your cell phone, you say, oh, I don't have to remember things anymore. I don't have to tell you what's the fastest land mammal because I'll pull up my cell phone. I can mm -hmm. find it. I have access to this whole set of information at my fingertips from my cell phone. And you need to think of your network the same way. I don't need to know all the answers, but I have this network that when I need an answer, I can go out and use it. So it's interesting you talk there because here we are on StreamYard recording this podcast. Of course, with the pandemic, everybody panicked, went home, kitchen table, bedroom, whatever. We're all working remotely. How has working at a distance changed how we need to invest and nurture our professional relationships? The pandemic is arguably one of the best things to happen to networking. Now, obviously, it's a horrible thing to happen to us globally. Wish it didn't. But I remember early on, everyone said, well, how can I network? Oh, this is terrible. I can't go and talk to people anymore. Certainly, going into that room, going to the conference is one way to network. But networking is not about collecting business cards and shaking hands. It's about building relationships. And if you think back to 2017, if I said to a friend of mine, I'm based in New York City, if I said to a friend of mine in San Francisco or in London, hey, you know, it's been a while, let's jump on a video chat and catch up. So what? <laughs> what do you want to do? Virtual coffee, what now? That's mm -hmm. weird. We would only see people in our cities. I'd meet up with people in my city, or maybe if you travel to my city, I'd see you. And so that relationship would usually go fallow and we wouldn't be able to build it. But now that's normal. I can say, hey, we haven't talked for a while. In fact, one of my former students just the other day, I usually see her when I'm traveling to Boston, which has been greatly reduced. I said, let's catch up by video. And so we're able to do things and now it's a little more natural. So what we've done is extended the reach, extended the psychology of our network from our city to globally. And that's a great way to continue to build relationships. So one of the, the patterns I'm seeing with the less experienced leaders, the less thoughtful leaders, is that they're jumping on the Zoom call or the WebEx or the Teams meeting, and it's just like, Mark, where are we at? What's happening with the project? They're not investing as much time in the small talk of how you're doing, what's happening with the family and so on. Is that a pattern that you're hearing from other leaders in your network? It is, and even goes further. As we're looking at hybrid workplaces, which, by the way, at the time of this recording, it's still not set in stone for me. We're recording this at the end of the summer 2022. And what I've been saying for years, if we stick to a hybrid workplace for another maybe about two years or so, 
I think it will become the norm. However, if we get a recession and we're already starting to see, certainly the markets are, are wavy, we haven't seen impact on the labor market, but imagine we get a big recession and all of a sudden the labor market starts to soften, then companies can say, okay, we do want you back in the office, take it or leave it, and we can undo what we're doing. But let's assume we stick to these hybrid models where we're in the office two, three days a week. The mentality of a lot of junior managers is, okay, well, in the office, you know, we have to really be productive. You have to get your nose to grindstone, cut the water core conversations, focus on work, because you're not here most of the week. But in fact, it's the opposite. It's when we're in the office is when we need to build those relationships. And some of that is the water cooler conversations and mm -hmm. tell me how are your kids doing and what's going on with you? Because that builds the trust, that builds the connection. And that's much better in person than remote. I can work on that spreadsheet from home just as easily in the office, or I can jump on a Zoom with you and we can collaborate on the spreadsheet. But that water cooler conversation is harder remotely. And we need to emphasize that when we're in the office. Yeah, we're encouraging our leaders to have scheduled spontaneity. So whether it's Friday at four o'clock, even if you don't get the person live because of time zones, is at least leave a message that says, hey, Mark, I was thinking of you. I hope you have a great weekend. And then looking at the strategic reasons for bringing people into the office, because, of course, there's no point you coming in on a Tuesday if everybody else is out of the office and all you're doing is sitting on Zoom calls in the office. But what we're seeing is that we are being invited in to facilitate those strategic planning meetings or leadership training, a reason to bring people together, but increasing the opportunities for um, rekindling those relationships that may have just got a little shallower in the last two years. I've so, been at virtual companies since 2017. And mm -hmm. when we invite people together, We'd also have our dinners together, and that was more social than work. We would do fun activities. So yes, you really have to emphasize and be intentional. I'd recommend tools like Donut or SUP, S-U-P. Disclaimer, it was written by a friend of mine, but I don't have any incentive to recommend it personally. These are tools that help you just randomly connect with others in your company that, oh, we're both in the elevator and we wind up talking to each other those tools help create that spontaneity. Yeah, we've been doing something similar. It's like when you're on a call and there's 20 people in the room, if there's somebody you don't know, send them a Slack message afterwards. Just ask for 10 minutes to say, hey, I saw you in that meeting. Help me understand how do you fit into the big picture? What is it that you do? What advice do you have for me and my career within the organization? And it's another deposit in that relationship and that networking bank account. Excellent idea. So as you look to the future then, and you think about the insights and the ripple effect that the career toolkit is having for leaders at all levels and at all stages of their career. What are you most excited for as you look to the future? I think we can not just emphasize these skills because we've heard about them for years. This is not the first time you've heard networking is important or mm -hmm. leadership is important, but we can start to shift to really training. We're starting to see the university system wake up to the need of this. We're seeing nascent programs. I don't think they go far enough. But also, I think we're going to realize, especially after what we've gone through with the pandemic and now hybrid workforce, companies that for years have been cutting their investment in training are going to re-emphasize this and see this as a differentiator. And we're going to see more and more programs within companies trying to elevate these skills in their employees. Okay. So 
How can people learn more about you and your work and obviously the Career Toolkit? You can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com, and there you can see where to buy the book. You can reach out to me if you want to talk to me, if you have questions, you want to bring me into your company. You can follow me on social media. There's new articles I put out every week. There's a free companion app to the book that contains a lot of the highlights and will help you learn and retain it. That's linked from the website and it takes you to Apple and iPhone where you can download it. And there's an entire resources page of free resources to help you develop these skills yourself and in your organization, as well as other resources for hiring and career planning, all free. That's on the resources page and all of this at thecareertoolkitbook.com. And I'll make sure all of that information is in the show notes. And I reemphasize, go to thecareertoolkitbook.com. There are so many resources that you can download but of course, get the book and read it. And better still, bring Mark in to talk to you and your teams and your organizations and help affect change. So as we come to the end of our time together, Mark, what final thoughts do you have for all of us? Think about the following. Let's consider you learn a little bit about negotiating. And you're 32 years old. You have a job offer for 80,000 pounds. You've learned to negotiate, so before you take it, you go up to 81,000 pounds. If you do nothing else in your career, if you stay in that same job for the next 30 years, you just earn yourself, with five, 10 minutes of negotiating, 1,000 pounds more for the next 30 years until you retire. A little bit of negotiating just got you 30,000 pounds. But of course, you're not going to stay in the same job. You'll have raises, you'll have promotions, you'll get more than 1,000 pounds. You'll wind up with tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of pounds more, just by learning to be a little bit better at negotiating. Now, here's the big secret. We can do the math with negotiations, but this applies to leadership, to communication, to networking. No one's going to say, well, you're a slightly better leader. Here's a thousand pounds more, but you will stand out. You will get the promotion. You will get the job. And so by getting just a little bit better at any or every one of these skills, you can have a massive impact on your career. It's like compound interest. So don't be daunted by saying, oh my God, there's so much to do. Work on getting just a little bit better and it's going to have a huge impact on your career. Mark, thank you for joining me on People First. I truly appreciate it. I look forward to future conversations and I wish you ongoing success in your career. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.